God bless you as we seek the Lord together for the year 2022. This is STL 22. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for blessing us with another day. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you for solving every problem, answering all of our questions, helping us through all of our struggles, being the lifter up of our heads. We love you so much. We thank you so much. We glorify you and we magnify you. You are God and beside you, there is no other. We thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you for cleansing us, washing us, and purging us from our old sins, God. Thank you for the gift of repentance, Lord. Thank you for everything. And Lord, we also thank you for this time of fasting and learning in the name of Jesus Christ. And teach us today, Father. Speak to us directly in the name of Jesus Christ. We all want to hear from you, Lord, and let the word spoken go forth with clarity in the name of Jesus Christ. Let it be all of you and none of me, none of my opinion, none of my intellect, Lord, but let this be all of your spirit speaking directly to us. Let your wisdom be upon me right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the spirit of revelation be upon me right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Let knowledge, hallelujah, and understanding and counsel be upon me right now as I deliver this message in your name, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we say, speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. I thank the Lord for blessing us with this new day. I thank the Lord for blessing us with another lesson during Seeking the Lord 2022 or STL 22. I thank God so much for what he's doing in our lives and um, the blessing that these messages have been to you thus far. God is so good. He's so faithful. He knows exactly what we need to hear, what we need to learn, what we need to know. And I thank the Lord for the impartation which is going forth. Of course, since we are still talking about Eve, we're still in this first week. Find me again in Genesis. This time we have moved forward into the third chapter. All right. And we will conclude our week in this third chapter. Okay. So um, today we are in chapter three and we're starting at verse one. And this lesson is called with all subjection. And these are the things that the Lord has um taught me through these scriptures and um, now I'm teaching you the very same thing. Chapter three in the book of Genesis, we're starting at verse one and it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, Hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I want to just pause here and interject this statement that when the enemy comes and he's coming to tempt you or he's coming to turn you, 
it will usually be done with subtlety. Almost to the point where it may even seem normal. I mean, it will be so subtle. It'll be so unassuming that you have to be in the spirit and connected to the living God to see it and to see it coming. This is why it is so important for all of us to maintain strong and consistent prayer lives, okay? And I wanna even say this, prayer schedule. And that is make time for Jesus. That's what that means. Every single day, as much as we have to do, make sure that you um, factor him in and spending time in his presence into your day. Remember, it's in him that we live, move, and have our being. So our families and our jobs and our other obligations and responsibilities don't really, don't really have a foundation if we are not firmly rooted in Christ ourselves. So we have to make time for the Lord daily, okay? We have to make time for prayer daily. And it's in our communion with him that we receive impartation and understanding. And he's able to prepare us and sometimes even forewarn us of what the subtle enemy of our souls has planned against us. Okay, let's keep reading. So he comes to her and he questions her about what God has told her. And I just have to pause here by the Holy Spirit. How many of us have gone through this? This is the work of the devil. When God has imparted something to you and God has told you something and God has given you some instructions and God has given you some convictions and then here comes the subtlety of the devil and he begins to question he or begins to cause you to question what God has told you. Okay? Remember that. Um, God knows what he told you. He's not going to question you on that. He may strengthen you in that area, but he's not going to come and tempt you to do anything outside of his will for your life. And the woman said unto the serpent, so she responds to him, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay, so here we see some, some issues where we say, okay, Eve went wrong here. She should not have responded to him. But the Bible tells us, I believe it's in the book of Ephesians, that we've all had conversation conversations with Satan in times past. So what we're seeing happen to her are things that has happened to us. It's not so uncommon. Remember, he's subtle. Sometimes we're conversing with him and don't even know it. Sometimes we think we're reasoning within ourselves and we're actually reasoning with the enemy. So she says, we can eat. She, she is, she's innocent, you all. She doesn't know what an enemy means. She doesn't know that. However, if she would have stayed integral to the commandment of God, then she would not have fell. So sometimes we may not know what the enemy in our lives may come disguised as. 
We may not know what the warfare will be or the temptation will be. But if we stay true to the commandments of God, oh, we can dodge every fiery dart that the enemy would throw in our direction. And so she continues, she says, listen, it's we can eat of every every tree. And so it sounds good, right? We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So you see in her in her delivery, in her dialogue, it doesn't sound like she is upset about not being able to do that thing, okay? To eat from that tree or or, or those trees. Um, as a matter of fact, later they couldn't eat from the tree of life. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And so she says, listen, we can eat of all the fruit trees in the garden, but there's a tree in the midst of the garden right there in the middle. And God said, we can't eat it. And we can't even touch it or we're going to die. So she adds a little something extra. And we don't know if this is something that Adam told her, like, listen, don't even touch it. Um, but she adds something in there. She says, we can't eat from it and we can't touch it or else we will die. Okay. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Oh, Oh, he's still getting people with this today. He's still getting Christians with this today. You're not really going to die. You know you'll be able to repent, right? You're not really going to die. You know things will change for you eventually, right? But we don't even understand. We experience that spiritual death and we start clawing our way and trying to fight our way back to God and don't understand why we're having such a hard time is because we experienced a spiritual death. Our disobedience, our disregarding of God and what he wanted us to do caused us to be separated from him. And now we thank God that he's married to the backslider. We thank God that even in the garden, he had a plan of redemption. But we don't want to allow the conversation with the devil to end up with us doing his will for our life and not God's will for our lives. Okay. So he says, you're not really going to die. Because listen, God knows that in the day that you eat from that tree, that your eyes will be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Of course, I have to pause here because this is a satanic doctrine that is still floating around and very popular today. I want you to know that all of these satanic celebrities who have sold their soul to Satan have literally bought in to this lie. What Satan tells them is that he did humanity a favor by allowing their eyes to be opened to everything in all types of indulgences where our God, Jehovah, where he was rigid and strict and restrictive and didn't allow them to really experience the fullness of life. Satan says he's the light bringer. Okay. He did a good thing in the garden. And I'm telling you, this is actually what they believe. And they believe that they can ascend through knowledge and through fellowship with Satan. And of course, through different um, rituals and sacrifices, they ascend to the, to some type of Godhood. They become a God with their knowledge. They become, um, this is why they call themselves stars. Because remember in the book of Revelation, it says Satan, um, 
a third of the stars fell with him. And this is this is what why they call themselves stars because they're with the devil now. They're of his kind now. Now they are stars and we out there, oh, they're a star. Yeah, and we don't even know they're, they're they're comparing themselves to fallen angels or people in Satan or not people, demons in Satan's army, those who fell and are working for the devil. This is who they say they are when they call themselves stars. And um, he says, you shall be as God. This is why Jay-Z calls himself um, Hova and Jehovah. It's a play on words. They are blasphemous and they have bought into this satanic doctrine that we see all the way from the beginning. Satan has been saying the same thing all the way from the beginning. Okay. That you will be as God's knowing good and evil. And I heard someone speaking about this particular scripture and they said this, they said, you know, she didn't desire anything that was so wrong. Okay. She didn't desire something that was so wrong. I believe her disobedience was wrong, but the person flipped it like this. And this is just food for thought. We're just having this dialogue about scripture, right? He says, she just wanted to be like God. And don't we want to be like God? You all have to remember this woman is sinless. This woman doesn't know what an enemy is. This woman doesn't know evil. This woman doesn't know these things, but something comes with subtlety and tells her you can be just like the God who, who you hear coming into the garden every day to have fellowship with you. That guy, you can be just like him, but here it goes. She did this. First of all, she was already like him and she attempted to, um, what, what, uh, become like God in a backwards way. You don't become like God by disobeying him. Okay. You become like him by obeying him through fellowship with him. That's how you become like him. You don't have to disobey him, but she's, this woman is completely inexperienced. This woman essentially is innocent. And listen to this, even though she was listening to the serpent, even though she was having this dialogue, even though, even though she engaged him. And even in verse six, even though she begins to reason within herself, she still had not sinned. The thinking about it, the reasoning, the, the conversation, the dialogue, it's bad, but it wasn't disobedience. The disobedience came with her choice. It came with what she actively chose to do. So for all of you, listen, first of all, we have the knowledge of good and evil. And we also have the Holy Spirit. We know better than the talk with the devil. And because of what happened to Eve, we know better than to reason with the devil. And because we have been given authority over him, we know better than to allow him to guide our decisions. Because we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, we already know that Satan is beneath us. So we know better than to allow him to drag us down to his level. But this woman, she didn't know better. Can we kind of ease up on her a little bit? Because 
somehow this still worked together for our good because now we have Jesus and now we can become like him and not by disobeying him, but through submission to him, through all subjection to him. Come on, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're getting there by the Holy Spirit. Verse six, and then we're going to end it here. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So she's looking at it and she says, well, the tree looks good. It doesn't look like anything is wrong with the tree. And that fruit, that fruit actually does. That, that fruit looks good. That fruit actually does. It looks like it's some good fruit. And um, it's going to make me wise. I'm going to be like, God, if I eat this. So she took the fruit and she ate it. Check this out. I just want to interject this, 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 listen to this. When she ate it, nothing happened. Her eyes were not opened, y'all. When she gave it to her husband and he ate it, it says the eyes of them both were opened. Wow. Wow. She was off of her role and he was out of his role. She was supposed to be obeying the commandments of God, protecting the interests of her man, being his strength, providing stability. But she pulled him into folly. But listen here, he allowed her to usurp that authority and pull him into folly. According to Romans, sin entered through Adam because he's the head. He's the one with the dominion. He's the one who, you know, was created first and had that first initial fellowship with God. He had the responsibility. She had her responsibility in her role, of course, but he had his. And when he disobeyed God, being the head, being the leader, sin entered in. That's when their eyes were opened. Because she ate it and it seems like nothing happened. And she said, here, take a bite. You know, it doesn't say she ate it and realized she was naked. It doesn't say she ate it and she realized she did something wrong. It doesn't say that she ate it and she felt ashamed. Nothing. It says she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband. Sin entered in when he ate it. It seems like Satan. I mean, first of all, there was, he clearly had an issue with the woman Clearly, clearly had an issue with the man, but it seems like he used the woman to get to the man that I can't really get him because he's the one with the, he's, he's the head. He's the dominant one. He's the one with the, the, the bulk of the responsibility. She's his, his glory, but he watches over her. He protects her. So I need to get to her. Because if I can get him to sin, then I can cause everything that he produces to sin. Okay. So he, he went to the woman first. He went to the woman first and because nothing happened with her, she thought it was safe to give it to him and he ate, he ate it and he knew better. She knew better.
The act was the disobedience. Okay. You know, the sin, it comes into our minds and that's Satan right there implementing his plan and his assignment. And that right there is when we shut it down and bring that thing into subjection and into obedience to Jesus Christ. We don't allow it to turn into a full-blown conversation and then, you know, planning and then acting. We don't do that. He tries everybody, you all. You don't have to feel strange about that. From the beginning, we see that. Don't allow him to direct your choices. Don't allow him to direct the choices you make. Don't allow him to pull you into his will for your life and out of God's will for your life. Because we see in scripture so much that God, he says, if you do what I say, I'm going to bless your family for generations. Your offspring are going to be blessed. I'm going to multiply you. You're going to be a great nation. You obey me, right? So what Satan wants to do, if he can just get you to turn and do what he says, oh, he's true. He's coming. He's not just coming for you. He's coming for your offspring. He's coming for, for those generations. He's coming for your children and your children's children. And this is what we see happen. It wasn't just Eve. Abel suffered because of that. And since then, so many people have suffered because of the decisions of the, the parents, Adam and Eve, because of what they did. But we thank God for being our kinsman redeemer. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's get into this. Details in Genesis point to why the Holy Spirit used the apostles to rehearse or repeat certain standards for women. So we see these standards for women that are given for women and not so much for men, okay? We hear about character, um, instructions on character and you know good works for men, but for women, we see specific things, not just about her inwardly, but about her outwardly. And so when it was time for me to get to study in the Lord really highlighted verse six. And what stuck out to me was the way the woman, it seemed like, listen to this. She had never paid attention to the tree before because it just seems like she's finally seeing this thing. And she says, wait, this tree looks good. And that fruit does look good. It seems like Eve never paid it attention because her God said not to. But it was something about the tree when it got her attention that it was able to grab her attention and keep her attention. And it was because of the way it looked. And so I really felt impressed by God that what we were seeing in Eve was something that is intrinsic in women, okay? And it's not a sin nature because she had not sinned yet. Rather, it is the human nature of a woman. It seems like women are enticed by things which look appealing or can make them more appealing. Y'all got to flow with me here. Flow with me because we're going somewhere. It seems like the, the attention of a woman can be grabbed by what she sees. So we always say, you know, men are visual creatures, right? Okay. 
that usually stops with, with women. They're really visual when it comes to a woman. But with women, okay, you can tell we're visual by the way we decorate, by the way we dress, by the way we keep ourselves, by the things, you know, by, by what we look at, by what's appealing to us, things that sparkle, things that are colorful, things that are fragrant. We are enticed by what we see. And that really stuck out to me about Eve, about her as woman, about what I can see in myself. Women, listen to this. It's, I, I, I truly believe it's in our nature, especially if we can receive it without being defensive. Think about this. A woman can literally spend hours in a store ooing and eyeing and touching a whole bunch of stuff, stuff that she she's probably not even going to buy. But just the look of it, just being able to look at it. Come on, y'all going to act like you don't know what I'm talking about? You don't go down that candle aisle and smell all them candles and open up all those wax melts and smell them just because? Come on, we are enticed by what we see. We are enticed by things that seem appealing. And we are enticed by things that make us more appealing. Okay. That's just in our nature. And this, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we make the home. We keep the home. We want to keep ourselves together. It becomes wrong when sin nature begins to rule what God has intrinsically placed in us. So I remember hearing Derek Prince and he was talking about women and he was talking about the way they see their, their perception and their attention to detail. So he said that a woman will see things that a man will not notice or see. Okay. Um, he said the brains work differently where a man is more into constructing. Um, a woman is more into how can I put it? This is the example he gave. He said a woman can walk into a house and he was actually talking about his wife and see that the vase is not quite centered on the table, right? Like it's not on the right angle either. He says, that's things that I would never notice. He says, but men have their minds work in a different way. And so he says, a woman has never written any type of, um, like symphony or, or classical, um, symphony. I can't, that may be the word, but like a woman has never composed that type of music. Right. But he said a woman can, you know, put things together that a man just cannot. It's a difference in the way our brain works. And it doesn't mean that a man is not attracted to things, but a man is not going to spend hours in a store smelling candles and looking at floral arrangements and things of that nature. You know, tea lights um, is not are not going to be strong around his, his bedpost or anything like that. That's women because we like things to look a certain way. Okay. And not only do we like things to look a certain way, we ourselves like to look a certain way. We like things that make us more appealing. And we see that with Eve. Uh, clearly, it wasn't an outfit because she wasn't wearing clothes, but it was something, wisdom. She said, well, that will make me more appealing. That fruit looks good. That tree looks good. And it's going to make me more appealing. It's going to make me better. It's going to give me a different sense of, of authority. Okay. Okay. 
So, um, it's nothing wrong with it until we allow sin to rule it. And then that's when the excess comes in. You all, if y'all don't, I, I know you all know what I'm talking about because we're going to be real with ourselves with this, right? The beauty industry is worth $511 billion globally. L'Oreal by itself made 30, almost $30 million in 2020. They made like $29.4 billion in the year 2020. Okay. Come on y'all. We want to look good. We want to be more appealing and we are enticed by things which promise to make us more appealing. Okay. And guess what? The whole beauty industry is worth, um, is estimated to be worth, um, almost $1 trillion by the year 2025. So that's just in a few years. So they don't even expect it to slow down. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I know men don't want to look raggedy and crusty, but y'all, this, this is not men. I, it may be their money that's buying it, but L'Oreal, that's women. Okay. So from mother Eve, we learned that we are made this way by God. She's looking at it and she wants to be more appealing. Remember by this time, she still had not sinned, but there was something in her. And I believe it was something intrinsically placed in her as a woman that caused her to want to desire something that may, um, enhance her. Okay. And that, um, looked good. Okay. Um, and it was just in her. So we call that intrinsic. It is not a sin to desire nice things. And it's not a sin to desire to be appealing. So um, I'll tell you all right now. I do face masks, exfoliations. I use all types of cream. I have teeth whiteners. Okay. I make sure that I take care of my skin. I've, I've recently found some plant-based um, protein treatments for my hair. I do all that. I just did like a bonding treatment. I love to deep condition. I like to take care of myself. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to be appealing. <laughs> I want to look good. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you saying, listen, I don't want to have raggedy skin. I don't want to have raggedy hair or whatever, whatever it is. You know, I want to take care of myself because I want to look good. I want to look nice. You know, I want to be a good example of a woman of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is in me. I don't just want to walk around looking any, any old kind of way. Okay. So, um, I don't believe there's anything wrong with doing things to make yourself look better or wanting to look better. It's something that's in us. And y'all know, sometimes men, sometimes they can just be ashy hands. They don't even, I mean, y'all got to help them out with the lotion and everything. Okay. But not us. I'm exfoliating my hands. I have sugar scrubs. I put on shea butter just cause, okay? It doesn't even have to be right after I wash my hands. Sometimes I could just be sitting here and I'll just be like, let me moisturize my hands again. I make sure that my nails are nice and clipped even. Why? Because that looks good to me. That's appealing to me. And I want to look good. I want to, if it can make me, if it can enhance me without changing me, of course, but if it can enhance me, Yes, I'm for it, okay? But things went left when sin entered in. 
Okay, so she had that too. She's like, I, this can enhance me and this thing looks good. All right, we know we like our mirrored stuff and some of us like our sparkle stuff and all of that. Um, we like things smelling good. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, at least for me, it's not. I don't know what your convictions are, but um, things went left when sin entered in. That's when things went left. So wanting to look good by any means necessary are things going left, okay? <laughs> This is when sin enters in and it begins to rule the way um, we want to be appealing, right? So we want to look nice. We want to look good. It's a natural thing for women. Nobody wants to look crusty and raggedy. But um, listen, sin has really perverted that natural desire that is in women. So now it seems like we are willing to do just about anything to enhance ourselves or to attain to what we feel is appealing. And usually, especially in our modern culture, it is whatever mainstream social media says looks good, okay? So that can be breast implants, behind implants. All of us have this desire to look good. Nobody's ever gonna say, girl, you don't. You won't hear too many people say it anyway. I really, don't mind my breast sagging down to my thighs. Like nobody's gonna say that. Any woman is gonna want nice perky breasts. Nobody's gonna say, oh, you know, I don't mind my behind just falling and just sagging. Everybody, pe people want a nice, tight, perky behind. This is what women want. We want to look good. And sin causes us to just do anything to attain to it and just go to extreme measures to where even some of us are dying, um, attempting to attain these looks. There's a, a beautiful woman, beautiful mother. And okay, listen, if you want to do something to enhance your body, fine. But what happened was she kept doing it over and over and over. And this was like injections into her behind. Okay. This was injections into her behind. So I know what it's like to um, have certain body parts and not be happy with it or really not be able to work with it because of various reasons. In my case, it was weight loss and doing things to fix it. So I'm not even coming at anybody for it, but this is when sin enters in and it's like by any means necessary because she had the injections and she had them again and her behind was absolutely huge, okay? She got all her pictures, showing it off and everything. She had somebody that she was in a relationship with, had a child, and um, but she kept getting these shots. It just wasn't enough. She wanted to continually just keep it getting bigger, getting bigger, getting bigger, and eventually she died. And it was very devastating for her family. And even years later, her son is still crying. And he said, I begged her not to go. I begged her. And everybody was telling her, don't do it, don't do it. And um, she lived, of course, afterwards. It took about a week or so before she passed away after the, um, the final injections. But um, this is when it becomes by any means necessary, okay? When, you know, you do your enhancement and stuff like that. And again, I'm not judging. I can't even say that the, the fifth, sixth time was a problem. But listen, it cost her her life, okay? And so by any means necessary, some of us are willing 
to um, do whatever it takes to look a certain type of way, okay? She had already enhanced herself and she kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And all of this is in an attempt to make ourselves look more appealing and feel beautiful. So the size of her behind the first time and the second time and the third time, it just wasn't as beautiful as she wanted to be. It wasn't as appealing. She felt like she could do it again and again and again. And um, I'm not trying to stereotype us and say we're all like that. But I'm just saying that sin has entered in and it has become detrimental. And it is using something that is supposed to be a good quality within us. Like scripture says, you know, the virtuous woman, she strengthens her arm. You know, she takes care of herself. There's nothing wrong with that. But it just seems like sin has come in and it's using something that God has placed in us that's supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to... Um, elevate and decorate you know our role as a woman now it's like it's being used against us and all we are worried about is looking good and having nice things and wearing nice things right and so um when these intrinsic qualities go unbridled when we just allow them to to be ruled by sin when we have not sub submitted those things to the Lord, um, you'll have women who in the name of all things appealing, whatever is appealing, will be desiring authority that's not given to them like we see Eve did. She didn't have that right to go over God's head, first of all. And what Adam had told her and his responsibility and tell him what to do. Okay. And so if we don't bridle that, Ooh, that looks good. Ooh, I could do that. Ooh, I would look good in that. If we don't bridle that by the word of God, and if that goes unbridled in our, the, the, the sin nature that's in us now begins to rule that. We'll start wanting authority and attire that we're not supposed to have. We'll start um, functioning in certain behaviors and mannerisms that we're not supposed to um, function in. And these things would be something that can be categorized as unbecoming for women of God. Okay. It's unbecoming for women of God. And so in, in, in looking at this in verse six, how the woman, she, she was looking at something and it caught her attention because it was an, it was appealing. So it began to entice her and then it had benefits for her personally. It was going to make her better. It was going to enhance her. And aren't we like that today? And so I came to first Timothy and you all can go with me here. And it really put together and connected why we have these scriptures, why we have two apostles of God in scripture teaching the same exact thing for women of God. Okay. And this scripture in um, first Timothy chapter two sums up perfectly why they, it, um, the, the apostle Paul, he brings in what happened in the garden and everything. And he connects it to why we have the standards that and the, the ordinances that have been given to us by God as women. Okay. So we are in 
1 Timothy chapter 2. And we are going to start at verse 8. I love verse 8. So here he goes. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. So he says, listen, I want everywhere, up men everywhere, all men. I want men everywhere, not just in the church that I'm writing to, but all men everywhere to pray. And this word literally means man, not mankind, not people, not them, not human. It means a male human being, man. So Paul is literally saying, I want men to be adorned with prayer. I want them to lift up their holy hands. So he's saying living a clean lifestyle, lifting up your holy hands without wrath. So there's no, um, aggression and anger and bitterness and no strife in the man of God. He's coming in peace to the Lord, lifting up his holy hands, and he's coming by faith, nothing doubting. This is how Paul says he would have men to pray everywhere. Glory to God. And then he says, in the same way that I want men everywhere doing that, I want women to adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, if you ask me, scripture is abundantly clear. It doesn't need any interpretation. It's not like the locust with human hair and like fangs and a scorpion tail and stuff like that. Like that doesn't, this, this, this doesn't need interpretation. This isn't figurative. This is literal and it is specific. He says, adorn yourself with this and not with this. In this church age, we are so shaken and unaccustomed to a standard being connected to God because we're so accustomed to hearing a gospel that tickles our ears. But what we see with this gospel that tickles our ears is that it, is that it really doesn't carry much lasting power. Glory to the name of the Lord. There is power in holiness and there is protection in holiness. And yes, Doing what the Bible says will put you in a category of holiness. What happens with us on the inside is made obvious by the way we present ourselves on the outside. So scripture is abundantly clear. I'm not going, I don't need to interpret it. I don't need to bring in any textbooks. He says, adorn yourself with modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety. And then he says, not with broided hair. And this word broided, um, I believe it's the Greek word plegma. Um, but this word broided in Greek means no interwoven style. So that's not just the braiding like another scripture says when it says the plaiting of the hair. That's braids. This one means braids, twists, locks. Uh, Bantu knots, any knotting in that type of manipulation and intermingling of the hair. He says, no, you don't do that. 
Um, you don't put on jewelry, you don't put on gold and pearls and you don't put on costly array. And you all know me, I do my lexicon thing. Um, you know, of course we do everything led by the spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, but since no scriptures of private interpretation, I look at what scripture says and I let scripture interpret scripture. And this one seems pretty clear, not with costly array. So I looked up what that word costly meant. And that word literally means extremely expensive. I mean, it's not just your regular, you know, you've gone to Dillard's or um, like Saks or something like that. This is extremely expensive. This is ostentatiously expensive. This is flamboyantly expensive. It doesn't mean that you can't wear good quality things and that you can't have nice things. That's not what it means. It means that he does not want women of God walking around, you know, with an outfit worth thousands. So how can I put this? How can I put this? This is just an example. So I'm not saying this is a law. I'm just saying an example. You know, he's saying women of God don't walk around with, you know, a $10,000. I don't think Fendi has any shirts for $10,000, but don't walk around with, you know what? Let's go to Moschino. I can say Moschino. Don't walk around with that $10,000 or um, $20,000 Moschino coat or dress. That is extremely expensive. Like that's costly for rich people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because for some people, you know, it's like, listen, we have a certain kind of salary. That's not expensive for me, but there are some things that are just expensive across the board. And so the apostle is saying, stay away from things that are extremely expensive. Stay away from things that are of great, great value. Okay. And not that it can't be worth something to you, but he's talking about monetary value. Okay. So not with braids, not with gold or pearls, which really can be categorized as jewelry or costly array. Okay. So he's very clear. We're going to get into this. So I, of course, I um, went into the Greek. I looked at these words and we're still about to connect this to Genesis. I need y'all to know this. So he says in like manner also that the women, so he says, I want men everywhere to do this. And so he says in like manner, the women, listen, all of you do this. This is not just to some women. This is not just to um, a certain women of a certain culture or ethnicity or um, location. This is for all women also Two. And I'm saying that based upon where he says, I will therefore, um, that men pray everywhere. And then he says in like manner, women. Okay. So I'm assuming that he means women everywhere, um, adorn themselves in modest apparel. Okay. So that one, that word modest, it means orderly. Um, it means virtuous. It means decent. It means well ordered, well prepared. So that means a woman of God and, and wearing modest apparel, she should actually look neat. She should look well ordered, well prepared. She should look um, like a person, how it goes on to say with shamefacedness. That literally means that you you have some type of shame about yourself where you're not just going to go out looking any old kind of way, right? And so the way it's described in its etymology in Greek, it means bashfulness towards men and modesty towards God. But in a nutshell, reverence. 
that this woman is adorned with modest apparel and she's adorned in a way that shows reverence to God and reverence to those around her and sobriety. This one I really like. I really like this word sobriety here when it comes to the way a woman is supposed to adorn herself because this word sobriety literally means sanity, self-control, soundness of mind. The etymology of the Greek word literally means truly um, moderate, okay? Truly moderate. Let's see. Same use for spike nard. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, that's another. Oh, I'm in some different notes. Excuse me. It doesn't mean truly moderate. It means sane. It means sanity and soundness of mind. That truly moderate is for that word. Um, wait, I'm getting confused, y'all. And I don't think, I think I done talked too much to edit this out. Y'all gonna have to bear with me. Let me look over my notes. The Greek word literally means truly moderate. Yes, that's what sobriety means. Okay, we're back. We're good. We're good. Okay, so um, soundness of mind, truly moderate, okay? And um, so speaking of this costly array, what I have here in my notes is that the same word that is used to describe the, the price of spikenard, um, and how that was so expensive. That's the same word used um, here with costly. This is so expensive. It means like extremely expensive. Listen, you all, today's spike nard is expensive. Like it's still expensive today. Like a couple of ounces costs you a lot, okay? You can spend about $50 for maybe like two ounces. So she had a whole little, little box that she broke it probably costs a lot of money, okay? Um, so let us continue. Let's continue. Um, so the women of God are supposed to be adorned with modest apparel, shamefaced and sober. And I love that, that definition, that word right there, sober, because you are supposed to look sane, okay? And some people say, oh, you know, you're being judgmental. No, we're supposed to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, do I look sane? Do I look like I have a sound mind? Okay. Um, some of these hairstyles and some of this stuff that we see on women of God does not say moderation. And the Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all men because the Lord is at hand. And so anytime there's a thought in my mind about looking in excessively cute, and like, you know, buying something that's a little fitted, I think about that scripture. No, 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 we don't have time for that. I don't care if the skirt is long. Like if it's a little too fitted, I can't put that on because the Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Jesus is coming back soon. The, the Lord is at hand. He's almost here. You ain't got time. It's not the time to be out there with no body con, nothing tight, okay? All right, I'm just being honest with y'all, okay? Because as we've spoken about, I'm a woman too. And there are just some things that look that would enhance my look or make me more appealing, even just to me. You know, not even in our minds are we always trying to entice other people, but we're trying to look our best. We wanna, we wanna look good, we wanna feel beautiful. And so, yes, I've seen some, you know, regular straight up and down skirts where, you know, it's going to hit and it's going to hug a certain kind of way. And I said, no, nah, I can't get that one 
because I have to let my moderation be known unto all men. I'm telling you, this word will cleanse you. This word is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. It will direct you and it will regulate your behavior. And that's when we start walking in holiness. When we allow the word of God to regulate our behavior. When we say, you know what? I'm not going to braid my hair no more then. I will comb these locks out because you know, the Bible says, I'm going to allow this to regulate my behavior. Okay. I'm not trying to say you unholy with the locks in your hair, but I said what I said. Okay. I can't explain it. No different. Um, I just don't want anyone to feel personally attacked, but, um, I definitely won't compromise the word of God. I'm going to say what it says. Okay. And I just said what it says. So, um, we're supposed to look sane. I'm literally like a woman of God is supposed to carry herself in a way that says she has a sound mind. She is sober. She has a sober mind. When she put herself together today or when she went shopping, whatever, she picked out things. She picked out colors. She picked out styles that says, I'm truly moderate. I'm sane. I really reverence the Lord and I have bashfulness and shame towards men and I have modesty towards God and I'm well-ordered. I'm well-prepared. I'm decent. I'm virtuous. I'm orderly. I'm ordered by what I put on. That's what that word literally means. I think the word is like cos cosmios or something or cosmo cosmois or something like that. And of course it comes from the word cosmos, which is the word that means, um, ordered system. And that's the word that we use for the world and the world's systems and secular world systems. And so this word is a derivative of that. And it just means ordered. Okay. It just means ordered. It doesn't mean an ordered system. Doesn't mean worldly. It literally means ordered, well-prepared, well-put-together, decent, right. Okay, so there is a way that a woman of God is supposed to adorn herself. And the apostles told the women in the church what this way is because intrinsically, if not bridled by the sure word of God, we would put on anything and think it's okay. So he says, you don't put this on. You do put this on. Okay. And he says, you adorn yourself as a woman, um, or in a way that becomes a woman who professes godliness with good works. So you don't come in here all dressed up. You come in here modest and you come in here bearing good fruit in the name of Jesus. Come in here living right and being a good example to the other women. And so this word professing godliness, I had to break this down because he says you adorn yourself like a woman um, in a way that becomes a woman, in a way that's fitting and suitable for a woman who's making the profession that you're making. Okay. So um, this profession literally means to promise or to proclaim. This is something that you've promised when you, when you come into Christ and you say, you know, I sub I surrender everything to him. That goes, your wardrobe is a part of that. That that's a part of it too. Okay. So, um, you've made a promise to him. So this is, um, a way that you dress when you have promised or proclaimed godliness. And this word literally means 
fear of God, godly respect and reverence, piety. So you've promised the fear of the Lord before everybody. This is what your belief in Jesus Christ is. You're going to walk in his ways. You're going to love him. It's in him you live, move, and have your being. And you have to present yourself like you fear the Lord. Literally, that word godliness means fear of God. So you have to dress in a way that says, no, I fear God. So that means like how I allow this word to regulate my behavior. You find some scriptures that can regulate your behavior when you're going shopping too. Okay. And say, no, you know, I can't do that because the Bible says I would not put that on because the Bible says, I don't believe that's modest. I believe that's showy. I think that may be too expensive. You y'all, y'all get me. Y'all get me. We don't want to go in church and have people staring at us because we're always so fly, which is something that so many women get into in the church. Even some women that I've known personally, they got to have, they just got to be fly. They got to be the center of attention when they step into the church. And it's a, it's a, it's a part of the church culture, but it's not a part of the kingdom's culture. It's not a part of what we are taught um, in scripture. We're supposed to humble ourselves. We're supposed to be ordered and modest and show reverence to God and modesty towards God with the way we carry ourselves. You all get yourself a lexicon, download the Bible hub app or what I see people use the blue letter Bible. I don't use that, but um, get into what these words actually mean. Because remember, this is a translation and this is a translation um, from hundreds of years ago. So English was kind of different back then and they didn't have the the plethora of words that we do now. And still even these languages were far more um, intense and elaborate and they have more words. So basically in, in a nutshell, these translators did their best, but it's good to just go to what that word actually means. And so he says, listen, I want women to adorn themselves this way, not this way. I want them to adorn themselves in a way that becomes a woman who has professed that she fears God and proclaimed that she fears God. Let it be with good works too. Also, of course, don't be out here trying to, you know, show off your, your, um, your expensive outfit. You shouldn't have it on, put on modest apparel, show off your good works. Okay. And then I also want to just throw this in there. That word costly is also used by Peter when he says of a high value to God, your meek and quiet spirit. Don't be adorned with X, Y, and Z, but be adorned with the meek and quiet spirit, which is a high value to God. That's costly to God. That's costly array to God. That is expensive to God. That is the kind of expensive that you can wear. <laughs> that meek and quiet spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And so then verse 11 says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. So now we see the apostle and he is connecting the things that a woman would do to be more appealing and things that are appealing to the woman to her behavior. And this sticks out with all subjection. The one thing Eve did not do was listen to Adam and listen to God with all subjection. In a literal sense, she usurped authority above God and above Adam and led Adam into sin. She acted out of authority that was not 
hers. Okay. She wasn't supposed to do that. And so this word to learn in silence, silence is hey, so kia, hey, so kia. And it does not mean um, speechlessness. It doesn't mean that she can't say anything, right? It speaks to um, an inward state of being. It's, it means tranquility, godly produce calm. It means um, a stillness. It doesn't mean speechlessness. That's a completely different word. And what the scripture is saying is what the woman is learning, let her be at peace with it. Let her receive that thing with peace and with subjection, submission. Let her receive it and be satisfied with it. Not like Eve who received the word and was not satisfied. Let these women in the church who, who are espoused to the last Adam, let them learn with peace. Let them be at peace with what God has said to them. Let them be at peace with what um, their man, the man in their lives are teaching them and has told them because he's only given them the word of God, just like Adam was only given Eve the word of God. So we see this parallel and this, my dear sisters, is why we have these scriptures. The apostles connected right back to Genesis and look what he says. He says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence again. Same word, Hesokia, peace, calm, godly produce calm, tranquility, stillness, be at peace with what God has said. Don't argue with the man. Don't try to tell the man what to do like Eve did. No, 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 no. Be at peace, tranquility with what God is telling you through him. So, this word, um, authority over, usurp authority over, it literally means, um, okay, so in the Greek is authentio or authentio, and it's two words put together. This is the etymology, autos and entia. Autos means self, entia means armed or armor. So authentio means to take an authority that is self-appointed. It means self-armored or self-appointed um, authority. It means to govern, to use authority over that you've given yourself. And so essentially what this means is stay in your lane. Whatever God says, receive it from the men of God with peace and subjection. That's it. Subject yourself to the word of God. Receive it with calm. Receive it with peace. Be at peace with what he's saying. And don't allow the serpent to come in and tell you anything differently. Okay, ladies? Do what the Bible says. Anything that's going to tell you to do something that's outside of scripture you can automatically pin that to Satan. Unless this is a personal conviction from God, that's one thing. But anything that's going to tell you that you don't have to do what the Bible says, that you can go around this, that there are loopholes for you, that's a lie. 
that's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always going to uphold this word. He's going to teach us according to this word. This word is Jesus and he's going to continually testify of this word within us. He's going to continually convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment by this word because that's what he does. Okay. So we submit to this word and we do it with tranquility. Listen. Just because we can't adorn ourselves a certain way and all that stuff, we are not going to be upset. We are not going to answer again. We are not going to engage with dia in dialogue with Satan. We are going to be at peace. And listen to what it goes on to say. He brings it right on back to what happened in the garden? He says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was the one created first. Listen, God could have created them together. God could have created Eve first. He made the man first and he made Eve for the benefit of the man. She was his stability. We Come on, we learned these lessons, but she was not his head. She's a beautiful, beautiful aspect of his life. Benefit protecting his welfare, protecting his interests, his glory. But she was not his leader. Just because she's in front of him and seen as his glory, that does not mean that she is his head. Listen to this. Christ is the head of the church. Who does everyone see representing Christ? Us, his bride. That doesn't mean that we're the head. Doesn't mean that we are the dominant ones. It just means that we are in our place advancing the, the, the objective of the bridegroom. Thank you, Jesus. So um, Adam was formed first, then Eve. He was the head. She had no right to self-arm herself and take that self-appointed authority and tell him to do something that was outside of the word of God. No, we learn this word. We hear it. And we receive it with peace and we subject ourselves to it and to the men of God who give it to us. And it says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So again, because the woman stepped into the transgression and was deceived by Satan, we have these scriptures. And so for so many, I'm sure centuries, women have felt you know what? I won't say centuries because there was a time where women were okay with being led by a man. So we'll say in more recent times, women feel so bound by this. But what the Lord put in my spirit is that we are not bound by this. This is not a hindrance. God is not saying that we don't have a voice in the church. It just means that we are not supposed to do what Eve did. And we have to learn God's word with subjection to it in complete peace with it. And we cannot tell the man, teach the man, take a self-appointed authority over the man. No, no, no. We have to submit to this word of God. And we have to submit to the word of God that these men of God who lift up their holy hands are giving to us. And so the Lord told me this. He put this in my spirit. He said that these scriptures are not given to hinder the woman or stagnate the woman. These scriptures are literally given to protect the woman so that what happened to Eve does not happen to us anymore. 
so that the enemy is not allowed to come in and cause things to be imbalanced and cause us to start telling the man what to do and bring in some type of deeper transgression is, is so we won't listen to the enemy when he presents us with something that's appealing to our eyes and we say oh this can enhance me and oh that looks good and oh let me touch that and oh let me put that on no 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 be at peace with this word subject yourselves to it Adam was not the one who was deceived the woman was so now we have to have these scriptures that set us in line and that bridle that intrinsic quality that we have to want to look nice and want nice things okay we want nice things he says listen have your nice things not extremely expensive things though okay have your nice things but make sure that you practice um self-control that you're an example of that so we must submit to the ordinances of god okay um read through the eyes of a feminist uh, self-interested, uh, culture, these scriptures sound like limitations and hindrances, but I really feel led by the Lord to share that these scriptures are neither, uh, a hindrance or a limitation. They provide protection for the women who have vowed or promised to walk in the fear of the Lord. God literally has given us these scriptures and he's saying, listen, I'm showing you how to do this so that the serpent can't beguile you anymore. Can't beguile you anymore. Beguile. Beguile. In the name of Jesus. Tiffany, get it together. <laughs> um, but so that the Satan can't Satan can't deceive you anymore. We'll put it like that, okay? Um, so that he can't deceive you anymore. And he can't um, you know, cause you to be in turmoil because of my word and he won't cause you to go against my will for you anymore. I'm telling you to listen and learn in peace and with subjection to it, okay? Don't take a self-appointed authority over the man and start telling him what should be done and what he should be doing that's against God's word. No, do what I've commanded, just like Eve should have done in the garden. So this provides us with the standards that we need. It provides us with standards we need standards to bridle our intrinsic desire, intrinsic, excuse me, desire to look a certain way, to be appealing and stuff like that. And to have all these nice things, um, we need a standard in God's word. He, it, it gives us that standard very clearly and, um, it protects us from the consequences of Eve's disobedience. So what does God say? I can't even say it's a curse anymore. God cursed the serpent and God cursed the ground. But it seemed like he spoke to Eve and said, this is a consequence of what you did. This is a punishment, okay? I will greatly multiply, you know, your sorrow and um, and your conception. And um, in sorrow, you will bring forth children and your desire will be to your husband. And so this seems like it seems like these scriptures following these scriptures protect us from the consequences of Eve's disobedience so he says don't do what she did okay do what I'm telling you to do which is what she should have done okay and then listen to what it says notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing 
This is complete support for what I'm teaching y'all right now. That these scriptures are saying, if you follow this and you don't allow that intrinsic nature that women have to want to be looking a certain kind of way and to be all extra adorned and all enticing and like all these types of things that are appealing. Um, not that you can't like your clothes. I'm not saying that not that you can't look good, but scripture gives us standards for what that is for a woman who professes godliness. Okay. And he says, this is because of what happened in the garden in so many words. And he says, if you follow these things, you will be saved from Eve's punishment or the consequences of what she did. And what came into my spirit as I was reading this was the amount of women that we see in Old Testament who died in childbirth. Okay. And what God is telling us, if you continue in faith and in love, and in holiness with a sound mind, with a sober mind, with a sane mind, you'll be good. Those consequences won't hurt you like they hurt her. Or those other women that we read about in the Old Testament who died bearing children. God will save us and God will keep us in childbearing and also in general as we raise our families. As we continue in faith and love and holiness with sobriety, love for God's word, faith in God's word, holiness according to God's word, and soberness of mind, our minds being bridled and led and guided and instructed by the word of God. Okay, so this protects us from making those mistakes again, from being pulled away by what looks enticing and what will enhance us and what will make us better. Um, you know, the, the false hair, I mean, by any means necessary is when you take hair sacrifice to a demon and you sew it onto your head. And that's where we get this human hair in the hair industry. Okay. Um, when that's by any means necessary, attempting to enhance yourself. We don't, we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to do that. And women do that. We want to get the longest eyelashes. We want to get the, 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 the nicest jewelry. We want to wear the most bedazzled outfits. We want to have the longest weaves. We want to enhance ourselves. We can't say that we don't. And what we see is those extremes is sin directing what's intrinsically in us. And so the Bible says, I have to set these standards so that you don't end up like Eve being tricked by the serpent to bring the man uh, or to take some self-appointed authority over the man and um, try to teach him what he's supposed to be doing and how he's supposed to be teaching the word of God and, um, you know, trying to lead him on what to do like Eve did. No, no, no. You learn this with peace. You listen and receive this word with peace and tranquility with calm, with stillness, and with subjection to it, okay? We have to respect the men of God in our lives who actually give us the real word of the Lord. Um, and we cannot um, go against them when they are giving us the word of the Lord. And I mean, I don't say be combative with anyone, but um, you listen to those who give you the real word of God, amen? So, um Genesis is, I mean, first Timothy chapter two absolutely connects why we have these standards to Genesis. So Eve didn't listen to the first Adam, right? That was her husband. Eve didn't listen to the first Adam. We are the bride of Christ. 
we listen to the last Adam, okay? What the last Adam says is what goes and we listen with all subjection, amen? With all subjection. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever you say, daddy, whatever you say, Jesus, that's what we're gonna do. No, 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 we're not gonna have dialogue with Satan about it. No, we're not going to allow him to tell us, oh, it's not gonna be that bad. You're not surely gonna die. You're still going to be able to prophesy. You're still going to be anointed. God, you'll, you'll be able to repent. It's not that serious. God don't care about that. That's not God. No, no, no. Do what the Bible says. I don't care. Listen, Bible is clear. I don't need to go back and do no study of Jewish culture. Nothing. The Bible is clear. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. It's clear. So um, glory to the name of the Lord for receiving this word with all subjection. And I pray for all of you who are not there, that in the name of Jesus, you get there, that you get to a point where you say, you know what? I don't care what, what nobody else says. I am going to do what the Bible says. It may not be seen. It may be the narrow road. That's when we start getting onto that narrow road. It may be different, but I'm going to do what the few do. Okay. I'm telling you, the Lord told me that. Oh, some time ago, he said, do what the few do. Cause you look around and see a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of stuff. And it makes you wonder, but no, no, the Lord said, do what the few do. The road is still narrow. That word has not changed. And listen to this and few there be that find it. And in order to find something, the Lord dropped in my spirit that if you want, if you find something, you were looking for it. Amen. So few there be that find it, do what the few do. And I want to travel that narrow road because that narrow road leads to life. I don't want to tap dance on Jesus's word and see what I can get away with. And, oh, I won't surely die. And, oh, it's not that serious. And, oh, that's religion. No, that's Bible. That's Bible. And um, that's not legalism. That's Bible. Okay. Doing what the Bible says, you can call it whatever you want, but it's following the word of God. And you can't go wrong with people. Of course, they won't like it. Because what it does is it shines light on what's wrong with them and what they should be doing according to scripture. So they'll see you and they'll say, wow, this person has changed inwardly and outwardly. I'm still doing such and such. I'm still wearing such and such. What they think they better than me now? You know, <laughs> you know how that goes. But um, we do what the Bible says and we don't do it to offend anybody, but we do it to show reverence and worship and obeisance and obedience to our God. We love him so much that we do what the word says with all subjection. Amen. 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 So we're not going to be like Eve in that regard. Thank you, Jesus. We're not going to take what God has told us. And we're not going to take what um, the men of God in our life have told us and um, do what we want to do or do what Satan says. No, we're going to follow this word of God. We're going to do exactly what it says and we will be saved from the consequences of what happened to Eve. And I bless you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you continue to minister this word to your daughters. Help it to make sense. Speak to them about whatever it is you need to speak to them about. Father, you're an awesome God. You're wonderful. You're holy and you're faithful. We love you, Jesus. Continue this conversation in our spirits individually. Amen.